0: One thing that I uh, love about uh, Easter and, and Easter, particularly in the Lutheran churches, is not just the the hymns and the singing, uh, but it is the fact that if you look at the front few rows, you realize that the tomb isn't the only thing empty on Sunday morning. <laughs> we'll add more chairs in the back before we'll sit in the front. But it's on on Easter that I am always uh, struck by uh, really the extraordinary weight of the Christian message. The the extraordinary weight of of this claim of of the resurrection. You see, the Christian faith, unlike many other faith systems, is not built primarily on some sort of moral claim, it's not built on, on some sort of philosophy about the world but rather the Christian faith is built on a historical claim. It is a claim that 2,000 years ago something happened in history and because of that event the world is forever changed. It is built on the singular foundation that Jesus has risen from the dead and with that the promise that everyone who puts their trust in Him will receive that same resurrection when He comes again. Now this singular claim is one that strikes many as particularly absurd. One that simply cannot be believed, right? Because dead people don't come back. This doesn't happen. It's never happened before. It hasn't happened since. Why should I believe that it happened to Jesus? Why should I believe it? This doesn't happen. How could anyone possibly believe what we claim happened today? And that is the thing about the extraordinary, isn't it? When we witness or, or we hear of or encounter extraordinary things and extraordinary claims, we tend to meet those claims with disbelief. Outright denial. I can remember one time in my life in particular being struck by that level of disbelief and and perhaps even denial. It was about four years ago. I was in my last year of seminary and, and I came home and I came home to the words from my wife You're going to be a father. And I think my response was something like, Are you sure? <laughs> and she showed me the test, and sure enough, it said positive. And, but I was still filled with, with denial and, and disbelief. And so I said, Well, are, are you sure? Maybe, maybe this is, is, is not right. Take another one, for another pregnancy test, and still positive. Are you sure? And I was filled with, with all kinds of emotions, emotions like, like excitement about being a dad, fear, and terror of what it would cost me in terms of time and money and sleep to be a dad. And so finally, I said one more time, Are you sure? And I think after the third test, my denial and my disbelief finally begun to give way to belief. But the fear and the anxiousness and and the, the excitement of what it all meant still didn't, nor has it probably passed away even now. Now that news of of you're going to be a father, that's, that's very natural news. It happens all the time. People receive that news with joy and excitement day after day after day. It's a natural phenomenon. Yet even that one is one that I had a hard time believing. We have difficulty believing even extraordinary natural claims. But at the heart of Easter is something that is not natural. It is something that is supernatural. It's no wonder that the people who first heard the news had such a difficult time believing it. Listen again to how the story goes when the disciples of Jesus first hear this news, verse 9 of Luke chapter 24. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So the women return from the tomb that Sunday morning, and they go not just to the eleven, but to the rest of Jesus' followers, those who had called Him teacher and rabbi. And they begin to share with them what has happened, what they have seen, what they have heard, how they had gone to the tomb and and they got there, and the body was not there. And the claim that the body was not stolen or removed, but that Jesus had in fact risen. Risen. And how are these words received? Luke says, these words seem to them an idle tale. I I think that translation is, is a little too kind, a little too generous. These words seem to them utter nonsense, foolishness, absurdity, it can't be true. If there's one thing we know, dead people don't come back. That's not how it works. This cannot be true. And so they did not believe these women. This claim is extraordinary. We need some proof, there must be some other explanation. 2,000 years later, I think many of us and our entire world is still looking for some other explanation. Some way of holding the resurrection at arm's length. Some way of saying this could not have possibly happened. These women, they must have just had some kind of spiritual experience, but the resurrected Jesus, I don't think so. They must have been overcome by grief and thought they saw something, thought they heard something that they didn't actually hear. Or or maybe this whole tale, this whole idea of a dead man coming back to life, it's just some big lie, some conspiracy, something that his followers made up as a grab for, for power and prestige. But if we examine some of these ways that we try to explain away to hold the resurrection at arm's length, we begin to see that even these stories that we tell don't entirely add up. Because the claim of a resurrection is not some sort of private spiritual claim. It's a very public claim. It's a claim that reverberated throughout the entire Jewish and Roman world. And it's a claim that is easily discounted with the simple presentation of the dead body of Jesus. Or or if it is just some big lie, some conspiracy, then, then why attribute it to a source which in that world would have been naturally questioned? Why attribute it to women who in the first century would have been seen as as lesser, as lower, whose word would have been not trusted? Particularly the word of Mary Magdalene, a woman whose life had previously not reflected great character. Even the explanations that we try to grasp for don't entirely add up. They leave a lot of questions to be answered. But you see, here's the reality. I think the reason that we often find ourselves, the reason that we hear the world around us trying to rationalize, trying to explain away the resurrection, the reason we're so intent on holding this event at arm's length is because we know, we know that the resurrection of Jesus, if it is to be believed, means something the claim of resurrection of Jesus, it means something not just for me personally, but it means something for all creation. So we'd rather keep it at bay. We'd rather explain it away. Because we'd rather not deal with the implications. So we spend time and energy. We see people write books after book trying to explain this event away, trying to rationalize it. But the invitation that the Scriptures make to us is to not explain it away, not seek to rationalize it, not simply try to shove it off into some private religious room. But the invitation that we receive is to believe it and to trust in it here again, the way the story begins in Luke's gospel account, Luke chapter four verse Luke chapter twenty four verse one. but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men And they, that is these women, they remembered His words. The women wake early that Sunday morning. They they journey to the tomb to prepare the body of Jesus according to their customs. And when they arrive at the tomb, they see something unexpected. The stone has been moved away. The body of Jesus is gone. And instead, what they discover there is two men in dazzling white apparel. Their altar guild must have washed their albs the day before. (laughs) And these two men speak to these women who at this moment are terrified, perplexed, confused, not understanding or having any explanation for what they're encountering. They say to them, remember what He said to you. Remember how He told you when He was with you that all of this was going to take place. That the Son of Man was going to be betrayed, handed over by one of His own into the hands of sinful men, and by those men be crucified on a cross like a criminal. But remember the way he told you that that is not how this story ends. How he said to you on the third day, I will rise again. And when the women hear this, we're told by Luke that they remembered his words. These women who are not, who have not yet seen Jesus. They have not yet witnessed Him with their own eyes. These women who were were once filled with with fear and, and confusion over what they were witnessing, they all change when they remember His words. They trust in the resurrection not because they see Jesus, but because they trusted Jesus. Not because they see Him, but because they trust in Him. You see, we can come up with every sort of proof that the resurrection is not only plausible, but very likely. We can expend page after page after page trying to to defend the reality of the resurrection. But unless this truth is received with faith, it will be nothing to us than an idle tale and utter nonsense. Nonsense. Without faith, we will never believe this claim. Without faith, it will strike us as little more than some absurd little story. Because the reality is the resurrection demands something from us. It is risky to believe in. It is risky to go forth and proclaim the resurrection. The disciples of Jesus knew that. They knew that going around telling people that their Lord and teacher had raised from the dead was a really good way to get themselves killed. And even today we see just this morning in Sri Lanka as churches and hotels were targeted that claiming that your Lord has risen from the dead is still a good way to get yourself killed. Believing in the resurrection, proclaiming the resurrection, it is risky, it costs something. And most of us, what we long for most deeply is just safety and security and comfort. So we'd like to sit around in the privacy of our own homes. Eat, drink, be merry, watch Netflix, because tomorrow you very well may die. We don't want a risky faith. We don't want a risky claim we want a safe one, a secure one, a comfortable one. But the reality is, is if all we long for is safety and security and comfort, what are we doing other than sitting around and just waiting to die? If all we long for is comfort in life, then life is little more than hospice care, waiting for us all to meet our inevitable end. So the call to believe the resurrection, yes, it is dangerous. Yes, it is risky. But it is a call to trust in and believe that a different reality than just waiting day after day after day for your own death, a different reality is possible. N.T. Wrights, uh, who's a, a British theologian and, and scholar, uh, one of the most well-known and, and probably currently the foremost New Testament scholar, writes a great deal in, in defense of the resurrection. And even he recognizes that apart from faith, this story will be little more than an idle idle tale and nonsense. But he says that the invitation to believe in the resurrection, the invitation to faith, to trust, not only that Jesus has risen from the dead, but that it means something for you. It's an invitation to imagine a reality filled with hope. He writes this, he says, Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, and the unscrupulous do not, after all, have the last word. That invitation to hope is an invitation to believe that there is a different end for you. That you and I have a lot more purpose than just sitting around in our homes waiting for the day that we die. But the resurrection of Jesus invites us to believe that this death that we spend so much time trying to shield ourselves from and protect ourselves from, because we realize that it's a terrifying thing that death has been dealt with. That Jesus is the one who has entered into death and come out victorious on the other side And because He has done so, He has won freedom for you and for me and for all of creation. And He has invited us into the risky business of believing in that resurrection and proclaiming that resurrection because that resurrection is what makes hope possible. Hope that emptiness and hopelessness is not all we have in life. Hope that violence and warfare is not all our creation could ever imagine. Hope that the sin that that overwhelms us and enslaves us will not get the final say. But the resurrection of Jesus invites us to trust in and believe in and have hope that it is Jesus, risen and victorious from the grave, who gets the final say. And this Jesus who invites you to trust in Him and believe in Him has said that if you do so... Your resurrection will be just like His. That what happened to Him 2,000 years ago will one day when He comes again happen to you and to me and to all who believe. And because He has risen from the dead, emptiness and hopelessness is not our end. Violence and warfare and death is not our end. Fear and terror is not our end. But life, salvation, forgiveness of sins. That is your end. And because that is your end, you have hope. Hope that a different reality is possible. And so while the resurrection it upends our safety and security, while it demands something from us, It promises everything to us. It promises that our God has not abandoned us. He has not forgotten His creation, but He has come and He has done everything necessary to rescue it. Don't walk away from the tomb in denial. Don't hold the resurrection of Jesus at arm's length or seek to disbelieve and discredit it altogether. But the invitation that our God makes to you, to me, to all who will hear, is to simply believe. To remember that it all took place just as Jesus said it would. And because it took place, it is promised to you as well. Do not doubt, do not disbelieve, do not hold it at arm's length, but rather trust in Him. Trust in this Jesus, because He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia.